Welcome to Regional Rights. My name is Jonathan Oates. In the early 19th century, the English radical William Cobbett wrote Rural Rights, documenting what he saw around the country, which he traversed by horse, to support his arguments against the injustices of his time. In the autumn of 2017, I set out on a motorcycle visiting all 12 regions of the main part of the United Kingdom in the British Isles, in preparation for my own effort. Where Cobbett had to rely, I presume, on memory, dip, pen and paper, I was equipped rather with a smartphone and a digital handy recorder. Presented in this series is a selection of some of my voice memos and other sounds featuring both pre-arranged and chance conversations recorded along the way. Um, this is what a bike sounds like, if it starts. And I'll uh, catch up later. London. For my first regional ride, I travelled south on the M11, starting where London as a region meets the east of England near Epping, and then west to Tottenham in the borough of Haringey, south to Parliament Square and Kingsway in Westminster, and finally along the course of the Thames to a budget hotel at London City Airport in Newham, about 30 miles in all. I visited the High Street in Tottenham, taking a coffee in the Brothers Café and Restaurant, and seeing the site of what had been White Hart Lane, the home of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, now being redeveloped. Walking from Kingsway in Westminster, where I parked, to Parliament Square, I learned from the Metropolitan Police that I had narrowly missed what was later called the biggest protest of the far right since the Second World War seeing the many wreaths laid on Westminster Bridge by the Football Lads Alliance. I spent the evening in Soho in the West End before returning to the bike and making for Commercial Road, the Docklands and London City Airport. My second regional ride tracked the Thames upstream, about 15 miles, beginning in North Woolwich and ending in Fulham in the borough of Hammersmith and Fulham. Along the way I parked beneath the Shard, the tallest building in the UK, and visited Borough Market in Southwark, one of a number of scenes of recent terrorist attacks in the capital, before making for the South Bank and the London Eye, from which I surveyed a good part of the region, pondering how much of the built environment must be vulnerable to sea level rise and climate breakdown, and how little it is evidently adapted. I spoke there to Rachel and Neelam of We Make Change, a small new campaign group. I saw a little of Fulham High Street by night. My last regional ride in London was about 30 miles from Fulham, where I took breakfast, through Kensington and Chelsea to the river, east to Blackfriars and then the City of London, back to Embankment Gardens in Westminster, 
and then off down the old Kent Road toward Canterbury and the southeast of England. In Westminster I visited the Palace of Westminster and was lucky enough to gain entry to the public gallery in the House of Commons, the first time I visited my own Parliament. Before setting off on my trip, I had arranged to speak to Nicholas Wilson for the project. Formerly a consumer credit legal professional and a composer, Mr Ethical, as he is also known, is an increasingly high-profile whistleblower and anti-corruption campaigner based in East Sussex in the southeast of England, where he now famously stood as a prospective parliamentary candidate in 2017 in the constituency of Hastings and Rye. Since reporting fraud early in the century, he has continued to pursue justice for those affected at great personal cost and has done much to bring attention to the relationship between the government and state and the City of London, HSBC Holdings PLC, above all. For a number of reasons, it makes sense to include his contribution here. Note that in what follows, whilst my progress through the region can be heard during the episode, the conversations have not been presented strictly chronologically. 12.15, and just had a cup of coffee at the Brothers Cafe and Restaurant, <coughs> um, which was very interesting. Um, really, uh, lots of stuff going on in there. People preparing food, uh, serving food, but preparing in the sense of catering, food being packed into containers which I think are going out to a party. That's about all I managed to ascertain. No one was particularly um, um, interested in in talking or I got the impression that um, it was pretty unusual for someone like me to wander in and have a, have a coffee. Trying to get into the Stonely Road car park. I've just looked up the road and there's a young uh, guy uh, in what looks like a dressing gown. Just making his way over the road to a, I don't know what, shop, something, with a, having a cigarette as he walks. That's interesting. If you heard a start in my voice, it's because Big Bus London just parked on my foot. I don't know what's going on here. I'm at Trafalgar Square. That's an unmarked car going past. There are vans which have blocked off... Um, a lot of the um, routes here and now um, traffic is being allowed to flow back in there are police everywhere um, <clears throat> fairly heavily armed batons at their sides one two three four five six in front of me riot van second right third fourth one two three four four five maybe riot vans around three mounted police was that all about since coming back to London after a layoff? Uh, you are impressed by the sheer size, so the geographical spread, the um, degree of development of the built environment, just how much stuff there is and great fine and often old um, edifices everywhere in every direction. And people, huge number and variety of people, opposite Parliament. And uh, as I'm speaking, there are three riot bands coming down towards me and uh, 
another two uniformed officers walking towards me. But she went on to say it's to do with the Football Lads uh, Alliance coming down to London today. Apparently they're all in the pubs at the moment. So there are, there are seemingly a section of supporters from uh, a variety of different clubs. I think she mentioned Leeds, uh, Manchester, maybe others, I can't remember. Uh, but apparently they're all down here for some reason or other and uh, and are uh, being uh, escorted around the city centre is one way of putting it. Well, that's the work of a Londoner. So uh, London keeps up the uh, pattern of large-scale organised political activity, but as has been pointed out, I missed it. Uh, an estimate from a couple of people I just spoke to near Downing Street, uh, I think it was probably 25,000. They said uh, the first time they did it, it was about 15,000, this time 25. And uh, there was a mention of the left being present somewhere. Um, chanting anti-racism or something and uh, a comment that uh, that they shouldn't be there uh, that all those right-wing organizations EDL and BMP and so on are all you know in abeyance they're all nothing anymore started with a discussion of the um, situation of the uh, veterans that are on the streets as being pointed out by a demonstration today opposite Downing Street. I think there's a 48 hour sleep out or something. That quickly turned into a conversation echoing, echoing some of the messages that I heard in the east of the country, in the northeast, in the uh, and Norwich about um, uh, immigration, the fact that people are seen doing jobs for example, Poles or Romanians doing jobs that used to be done by uh, what, what people regard as British workers, you know, natives. Yeah. Uh, um, my name's Nicholas Wilson, um, also known as Mr. Eskel. Um, I'm a whistleblower. I discovered and reported uh, massive industrial-scale fraud um, on behalf of HSBC Bank. Uh, and I got the name Mr. Ethical from my bosses. So I kept complaining that the contract they had entered into with the bank was illegal, and so I was dubbed Mr. Ethical. So I kept that name for my campaign. Yeah. Um, being naive at the time, I thought blowing the whistle, which I did to the Law Society, now the Solicitor's Regulation Authority, that something would happen and the whole thing would stop and people would be recompensed who have been ripped off. Uh, that wasn't to be the case. And they thought this was all in, in 2006. I, I originally told the bank when I first had my first meeting with them in 2003 that what they were doing was illegal. But my firm carried on doing it, explaining to the, the boss, my bosses that they shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Um, and I was basically hung out to dry. I was effectively, constructively dismissed. They took all the work away from me. Um, and it ended up me eventually reporting them because there was, it was clear they were going to carry on doing it. Mm. Um, but that was, the, in my naivety, um, 
I thought it would all be sorted out, but it was the worst thing I could have done, and it's destroyed my life. Um, jumping forward, it carried on until 2010, when the Office of Fair Trading finally made an order against the bank, telling them to stop doing it. Yeah. And I've been campaigning in one form or another all these years to try and get the bank to repay people. Now, January of this year, the FCA announced that they had reached an agreement with the with HSBC that HSBC would voluntarily repay four million pounds. Um, I don't know what voluntarily means when you're talking to a regulator. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there should be about eight people in prison because of yeah. That. Yeah. Four million pounds is a joke. In my evidence, um, at least a hundred million pounds should be repaid. Yeah. And over the years, over the whole period of this illegal contract, over a billion pounds has been applied to people's accounts. Yeah. Um, but effectively, I've been well. I have been unemployed now for at least ten years. Yeah. I've had two t- two short-term consultancy jobs with solicitors. Um, but apart from that, I, I'm unemployable. The whistleblowers are not very welcome in the law. Well, the, the reality is, because I never qualified as a solicitor, I just worked my way up from the post room, but I ended up being head of department. Um, if I had been a qualified career solicitor, I probably wouldn't have blown the whistle, because by now, at my age, in my position, I would probably be on half a million pounds a year. Uh, you don't rock the boat if you're earning that sort of money. Um, so... It, it was, I mean, in retrospect, what I should have done was found another job before I blew the whistle. Um, but I was so naive, I just thought everything would be cleared up and I would be welcomed with open arms. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a pariah, still yeah, am. Yeah. So after the, after the January announcement, I had a meeting with the FCA in February saying, you know, four million is a joke and this is how, this is how much it should be. And I gave them the information. I don't think I actually gave them my whole database, but... Yeah. I said to them, this is, this, you know, the county court judgments is where you can find the information. It's public yeah. record, or, you you know, you're the financial conduct of yeah. those. Anyway, the, the bottom line is the FCA have done nothing, right? Yeah. have done absolutely nothing. Yeah. And this is, this is in, on, in the background of a history of, I've had with them. I originally reported this to the Financial Services Authority, mm-hmm. which then became the Financial Conduct Authority, mm-hmm. and they covered it up. <laughs> They, um, originally I did a Freedom of Information Act request to the FCA saying, what have you done about my complaint? And they sent me a letter, um, which was identical to a letter that the, the HSBC sent to another campaigner. We compared notes, and it was, it was just copy and pasted. And it was 100% untrue. So what happened was the FCA said to the HSBC, we've got this guy who made this complaint, what do we say to him? And HSBC sent down this text, and they just copied and pasted it and sent it to me, as, they had, as HSBC <laughs> had sent to this other guy. Yeah. So we caught them out, and um, there's a financial journalist in Scotland, Ian Fraser, yes. who, who, who blogged about this. Yeah. It, it caused a stink, and Parliament, yeah. questions were asked by the Treasury Select Committee in Parliament, and the FCA admitted it all admitted it had happened. They weren't very apologetic. They just said it was a misjudgment. They apologized to me, and then they uh, agreed that they would reopen their investigation. 16 last year, the first thing they did, having agreed to open their investigation, was appoint two new non-executive directors to their board. One was, one was from HSBC, and one was from John Lewis, who was the co- one of the other companies doing these charges, illegal charges. Yeah. Yeah, that's 
That was their first opening gesture. What to do, and this is all happening today. I've sent a letter today to the Lord Chancellor, who's the head of the whole legal system here. Um, I've sent it to the FCA. I've sent it to Nicky Morgan, who's the chair of the Treasury Select Committee, and I've sent it to the chairman of Registry Trust, which is the company that administers the county court judgments. And I've said, if the FCA don't confirm by 21st of December that they are going to take appropriate action on this, I'm going to dump all that data on the internet. I will strip out personal details. Mm. I don't see why innocent debtors should, should have, you know, bear any... Yeah, sure. because of my actions. Yeah, sure. But the fact is, and, and for most people it will be completely irrelevant and uninteresting, but I know there are people out there that enjoy analysing data. Uh, they will be able to do the, the same analysis that I did, and it will, again, show um, what the true figures are. So basically yeah. I'm, I'm making public the data that, that yeah. the FCA have and should be acting on. Yeah. Just meandering through... Uh, Soho's back from Water Street, which I recognised was joining uh, Oxford Street and New Oxford Street. There's a fair number of people um, around already, uh, eight something, and uh, couples, people on their own, people in groups, people stood outside bars, people queuing outside restaurants, people sitting on the ground outside shops which are closed. You know what they're doing, just chilling. And they're Quite a variety. Looks a bit like United Colours of Benetton. Um, they're all very beautiful, huddled in coats. I, I would guess they're probably foreign on that basis. Um, the atmosphere is pretty nice. Uh, it's bustling without um, any aggro, really. I think the nearest I got to any aggro was just a slightly. Um, the word boorish came to mind, that's probably a bit unfair. Slightly um, slightly drunk uh, guy with his wife and friends telling, uh, telling someone to get her bloody sisters to fucking hurry up, all that kind of stuff, in a very loud voice. The guy on the bin's just uh, through level, I think he's a bit lost because it's a new route for him. That's what he said anyway on parting. And, uh, uh, a couple came up to him and uh, both a little bit worse swear, particularly her, maybe in their thirties, early thirties. And uh, she said to him, um, can you please make sure this food gets to the homeless somehow? I haven't seen any for ages and I don't want to throw it away. And uh, he said, yeah, I'll take it, I'll take it. I'm going uh, all the way down Tottenham Court Road, and there are loads of them down there, is what he said. And he said uh, he's off home now. He's finished his round. He said he's only doing it as a favour. He gets paid time and a half and double time when he works like this. He says they have to because it's through an agency and he's doing someone a favour or something. His normal job, his day job, is, uh, is he's on the bins. And he said the killer is... Uh, Sunday to Monday, because he's uh, out late until I think about 9 on Sunday, and then has to be up at 4 on Monday morning. Uh, he said he's got a disability of some sort. Um, I'm not, I didn't inquire what, but um, we, we had a little chat about the state of the country, and he immediately um, 
after after saying that and his struggle, I think he said he's homeless. He's sleeping on his mate's floor at the moment. He's separated from his ex-missus, as he put it. And he immediately compared himself to a, an Iranian guy, refugee, he said, um, that had to cross five times. He got caught and sent back five times, he said. He said, got nothing against the bloke. But um, they've uh, given him everything, and he's now housed and set up, etc. And I'm, and I'm still, and he's basically saying, I'm, you know, I'm a Londoner, always born and bred here, and I'm stuck. And uh, I, I, I said, I, I hear what you're saying, it's what I've heard, particularly around the east side of the country. And, uh, uh, you know, it's echoing the conversation I had earlier um, today as I walked back from Parliament Square. And... Uh, I said I cling to the view that he's not the problem, is he? You know. He said, Oh no 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 no. I said, you know, it's the and he immediately jumped in and said it's the system. Just as we were talking, uh, he uh, he got a bit distracted and a Lamborghini uh, came around the corner, just crept around the corner and crept down the next street. And uh, I said, Can't use uh, can't really use the performance here, can you? And then I thought about it and thought, actually he is using the performance, the visual, look at me type performance. And uh, he laughed a bit. He said, Yeah, I, I didn't catch it the first time. He said, Small cock in it, that's what they say. And then he segued into, he's a Spurs fan, and uh, he saw a Lambo. He said, A much nicer one than that the other, the other week. And uh, a great shout went up wherever it was, and uh, he walked around the side of a van and there was one of his Spurs uh, heroes, uh, Cristiano, I think he said something, Christian something, not sure what the name is. I mean, one of the, one of the aspects of my campaign is that in the UK there's a complete media blackout on HSBC crimes. Yeah. I mean, they do report some things which are in the news anyway, like the Swiss leaks. You know, they can't not report that because it's worldwide news. Yeah, sure. But they don't report all the other minor infractions that, that go on with HSBC. They're, you know, almost every week there's a multi-million pound fine somewhere in the world involving yeah. HSBC. Yeah. And I've also been saying, and this sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it's not, um, that effectively HSBC are running this country, that the MPs do basically are lobbying for HSBC all the time. And this film, which, uh, as I say, I haven't seen, but I'm told, particularly brings that out, because I've blogged about Hinkley Point C, which is the new nuclear power station in, yeah. in Somerset, um, and the involvement of HSBC and the Home Secretary, she's now Home Secretary, Amber Rudd, but she, at the time she was Energy Secretary, and her involvement with her brother, who's a lobbyist for the firm that got the building contract. I mean, the whole thing is completely corrupt. Yeah. And it's going to cost the users of electricity three times as much as wind power. I mean, it's the, the, the whole project is, you know, it's widely criticised as being outrageous. Yeah. Um, and it's completely corrupt. And, and in, in the film, they apparently say it's the Chinese who are building it, and it's EDF, the French company, who are, you know, operating it. And the, the film says that the UK gave up its sovereignty for China to please HSBC. They actually say that. In the film? Now, I've said that yeah. in a blog. I've been blogging similar things. I mean, it's not just um, Hinckley. I've said similar things about the Saudi Aramco, which is going to be the privatization of the Saudi oil company. Yeah. Um, there's a, a lot of corruption going on there. 
which I blog about, but you don't hear any about any of this in the UK press. Yeah. Uh, but this French film, it doesn't deal with Aramco because it was made last year. And, and yeah, 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 sure. But, but it's, I try to keep up on my website, and <laughs> I blog about a lot of things. A lot of my blogs should be front-page news, Yeah. but they're completely ignored. Hastings and Rye, indeed. Yeah. And as you mentioned earlier, there was this famous episode during the Hustings when she sent, she had me shut down from discussing HSBC. I mean, the, the common belief on that on that film is that she was censoring me for discussing Saudi Arabia, but it wasn't. It was she started moving to write her note to the chairman when I mentioned HSBC. That was her trigger. Yeah. And that's what's going on. HSBC are out of bounds for yeah. media and for politicians. Usually, in that respect, yeah. a lot of people. Um, just consider me to be a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Uh, as I have been lucky to be able to point out, though, recently, HSBC don't pay out £4 million based on a conspiracy theory. Yeah, sure. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and and what, I, that's why I'm excited about the French film, because apparently a lot of what is in there vindicates a lot of what I've been blogging about. Yeah, last two yeah, yeah. I do think HSBC are in a special class. I mean, the, the head of the BBC until recently was an HSBC director. There are six lords in the house, six peers in the house of lords yeah. for HSBC people. I mean, they are... The, one, of the, one of the HSBC directors, Jonathan Evans, used to be the head of MI5. He's also director of a company called Arc Data Centers, who supply data services to all the government departments. So mm -hmm. MI5, MI6, GCS. So in theory, every... Um, the personal details of everybody in the United Kingdom is accessible to HSBC. Yeah. I mean, it, and, and one MP, I won't name him because this was said in a private meeting, but one MP said to me, well, he's, he's, we're very concerned about HSBC's infiltration into the, into the security services. Yeah. But nothing is done about it. Yeah. Even beloved Jeremy Corbyn won't go there. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's very frustrating. So I have to do, uh, you know, maverick, unorthodox things just to tr try and draw attention to it, and then I get labelled a nutcase, and so it goes on. The good news is at 12:20 that the two-in-one laundrette is uh, open on Pier Parade in North Woolwich. That's E16. I'm reading it off a sign. There's a couple of uh, old women, if I may say so standing in the front garden, I think, of their houses down near the station. I actually spoke to them. Uh, one of them had an Irish accent. Uh, she didn't want to, um, didn't want her name mentioned or anything. Oh, no, you leave me out of it. I explained I'd been around trying to see for myself whether it was as bad as it seemed, and it is. But I said I'd also, I'd also seen a lot of good people, and it made me um, hopeful that we can put our foot down and get something done. And he said, oh no, if you put your foot down, they'll step on it. Just looking across to a very, very large uh, glassy building with an enormous banner across its front that says, welcome to Newham, London. And uh, I'm only noticing it because I parked opposite uh, one of the sides of the London City Airport Private Jet Centre. And uh, as I remarked to the, the, uh, the business owner, um, not many people around here are probably making use of that facility, are they? Of course.
there's a big advert uh, on a billboard underneath the private jet centre um, banner. It says, the National Gallery, Credit Suisse, it says, rather, that's uh, bigger, the font. Credit Suisse, the National Gallery, proud partner of the National Gallery. For example, I was tipped off by, again, I won't name him, but a BBC, uh, the, 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 it wasn't Treasury Select Committee, the Public Accounts Committee, headed by Margaret Hodge, but having a meeting with mm. HSBC, or with uh, Rona Fairhead of HSBC. And I was tipped off by a BBC journalist that they might be discussing this HSBC fraud thing. So I went to the meeting, to Treasury you know, the Public Affairs Committee meeting. Yeah. And I waited, and I waited, and they didn't discuss it. So in the end, I stood up and tried to bring, you know, and I was bundled out of the building. I was thrown out, and it was very unpleasant, actually. Yeah, sure. um, but after that, the, the said journalist said, you know, I can't help you if you do eccentric things like this. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, I said to him, well, would you describe the suffragettes as being eccentric? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just activism. It's just what you have to do. But that's the BBC attitude, you know, we, we won't go there because it's all a bit, it's not English. Yes. Well, yes, now I've said, um, I've got a friend who who now works for Channel 4, he, he used to work at the BBC, and he told me that all their news broadcasts are vetted by two members of MI5. Now, I've, I've tweeted that before, and I've been shot down, um, and I don't know if it's true, um, but certainly, the, it used to be the case. It used to be that all 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 employees of the BBC were vetted by MI5. Yeah. That's, that's public knowledge. That was uh, that operation was given a name. I can't remember what the name is. Um, but I think it's naive to think that the BBC are not still monitored by MI5. Yeah. It would be stupid to think that. Yeah. Well, I'll give you another example. Is that there's a, a guy who who supports me called Eric Sandberg, and he now lives in Sweden. He was he was a sort of journalist. And he wrote to, to Rona Fairhead at the BBC. She was the chair of the, the uh, BBC Trust. Yes. He wrote to her asking to interview her in connection with my stuff, but he didn't mention HSBC in, the, in, a, in his letter. Um, and he got the reply back from her office saying that the request had been forwarded to HSBC. Hmm. That is what's going on. You ask, you ask the head of the BBC for an interview and they send it to HSBC. Hmm. Quite extraordinary, and they—they, they, I challenged them about that, and they said again, they said it was a misjudgment. <laughs> mm. Yes, it's everything. So, I mean, ethical drift. We've got Mark Carney refers to ethical drift. I mean, there are all these euphemisms for yeah. you know, mis-selling. Yeah. Euphemisms for crime. Yeah. And in the old days, you know, fraud was fraud, and you went to prison for it. <laughs> but unfortunately, I can't because of my mental. I can't read books, so I can hardly get through a newspaper article. Yeah, sure. You know, I can't concentrate on anything for yeah, me. Yeah, sure. Everything, especially in that area, it brings up a, a load of stress for me. I can imagine. Yeah, I'm, yeah it's very stressful. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I could be raided any minute because I'm threatening to do dump this data. Yeah. Even though I won't be doing anything illegal, you know, they don't. It won't matter to them. You know, if they yeah. can cause me maximum inconvenience, like. Well, I think MI5. They, well, they might just phone the local police and say, we want, we want you to have a word with this guy. Yeah. You, know, you can't do things like that. I mean, it's the same with my house. Again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But I don't think there's a, a, a cabal of people sitting in an office saying, how can we make his life hell? But I do think there is a mindset 
that hate people like me. And my house is owned by the government because I'm an old Northern Rock person. And hmm. the, the, it's now the UK Asset Resolution. Yes. The people who own my house, the Treasury, basically. Yeah. And twice now they've issued repossession proceedings against me. Uh, twice I've managed to fight it off through people donating on Twitter, which has been absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, but it goes, you know, and it's still going on. You know, the arrears are building up again, and you know, it's never ending. Yeah. Fighting. Susanna Silver. What a wonderful world. So check out how this is run. You queue up, you go through an airport style, walk this way, walk that way type arrangement. You buy your ticket, £26, uh, and you're told... Oh yeah, you go in the 4D experience, and then um, and then you need to queue at um, entrance A for a 4:15 start. I look at my watch; that's that's about eight minutes away or nine minutes away. There's a rather large crush getting into the 4D experience. No staff anywhere telling you what it is or how long it takes, and whether you will get stuck in there and miss your entry. The whereabouts of um, entrance A is a mystery, and there are no staff around to tell you where it is. And uh, I end up um, ducking out of the taped walkways, aborting the 4D, whatever it is, and uh, shouted over the top of the, in a nice way, over the top of the uh, cardboard that's supposed to be separating the staff off from the people they could potentially help. Hello everyone, can someone tell me where entrance A is? And uh, out there and to the right-hand side was the... Um, was the instruction. So out I've come, no staff anywhere, no furniture indicating what you do or where it is, and all I can see is fast track tickets and people paying £36 each to, quote, bypass the majority of the queues, close quote. Thus is the Coca-Cola London Eye. Uh, so we make changes, a, a social change movement. Uh, essentially we're developing a social media platform we want to connect individuals with charities or causes that they care about and we're just marching around London this afternoon to raise awareness about how anybody, any individual doing whatever they can can make change, like the littlest action yep. can make such a big difference and so we're just marching around London this afternoon yep. spreading set positive vibes to the city of yep. London to help people see that they can be the change that they want to see. You're not trying to actually put out a message other than that change is possible and it comes about through human action. Yeah, so it's not so much a protest, but more like a positive yeah. march for positive reasons rather yeah. than coming against something or being for something instead. It's, it's not connected to change.org, the petition no. machine? No. Yeah. So how, how big is it? Is it a brand new institution? I haven't heard of it before. And I'm fairly active in this sort of thing. Yes, now we've got like 14 volunteers. 14. Four zero. Four zero. Yeah. And is it is it London based or part of London or? We've got volunteers all over the world. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, like Romania, New York. Where did that come from? Who started that? Um, the CEO James Sancto yeah. and Felix, whose last name I can't cause. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Romania. Um, so they both have the same idea for this um, platform, and they both tried to register the same web space.
staying here last night uh, reminded me of the 10 weeks I spent in West Kensington as a attendee of the Guitar Institute. Can you hear why? So here I am at the side of the road in Redcliffe Gardens. I stopped to take a picture of what I, my initial impulse was to show, you know, one of the most expensive probably areas of real estate, I would guess so, uh, in the country. It's a uh, fine, a street of fine London, what would you call them, mansions. There are a couple of pictures you can look at on a street of mature trees, really beautiful mature trees. So the overall impression still, we're well into October now, still is a lovely leafy green street with some fine houses in fairly good order, most of them. But listen. Why should a residential street, residential area, be um, sitting both sides of what is effectively a dual carriageway almost? Um, just take the last stretch, the last 100-200 metres from the Royal Hospital in Chelsea. Um, the, the wealth all around you, the material accumulation is obvious. Um, and you look out across the water over to, I'll take some pictures, over to these huge steel and glass residential structures which have seven-figure price tags, I'm sure. Um, and then the, you pass under a bridge, one of the you know main bridges along the river, Thames, and there's, a, there's five people living there under the bridge, one tent, various tarps, bits of plastic, cardboard, whatever they've been able to get together. So in the same in the same space you've got um, people in these great big expensive uh, residential structures looking out onto utter squalor. In fact I don't know what's more squalid. Yeah security wasn't happy about me uh, photographing them near an open door, one of the several doors leading into the central bank. So um, we have to make do with pictures of what effectively is a wall, a very large solid wall um, on four sides. That's exactly right to me. The fact, yesterday I tweeted, on, only half tongue in cheek, I tweeted that the biggest threat to mankind's survival is climate change and what aboutery. Now, by that I mean, and, and I think it's partly the problem of social, social media and, and, and the short attention span that, because the, the, the internet has created yeah. for people. Uh, but you mentioned something like climate change, and then somebody will say, well, what about this? And you can't, there, there seems to be now no focus on, on a campaign or an issue that you can't, you can't say anything without, what about paedophiles? What about climate change? And, yeah. and there is no focus, I, I find. I yeah. think people are... There's all this sort of pseudo-activism, but no, no focus and no real direct action. Yeah. And I think it's partly because of the, the network of the internet, and it's, it's now so easy to slide around all over the place and you know put your two pennies in here and there, but there's no 
coordination and there's no focus. Yeah. I mean, uh, and even even MPs. I mean, I, I was watching today. I was watching a, a thing on the news about the Chris Williamson. Is it the, the Labour MP? He was. They were talking about yeah. why the BBC hadn't reported Corbyn's peace prize. Oh, I, I think Labour are making a bit too much of it. But even so, the BBC didn't report it. Yeah. And it was Joe Coburn that politics show, and she yes. said, "Well, did you tweet about it?" As though tweeting now is the you know. She, this is the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation. So, and she, basically, she was blaming Labour that the BBC didn't report it. Yeah. As you know, obviously, you think about this more than I do, but the investment and the, the problem with the investment in oil and, and fossil fuels. I mean, we, you know, we, I mentioned before about HSBC and Saudi Aramco. Yeah. It, there's this huge corruption going on because it's going to be the biggest ever... IPO, you know, initial public offering of shares, yeah. worth up to $100 billion, and it's oil. <laughs> we, should be, we should be putting that money into renewable energy. Yeah. I mean, as somebody said, and, and I can't remember who it was, but it's a beautiful thing, we, you know, most of our energy comes from under the ground, from coal or oil, but we should be taking our energy from above the ground. Yeah, it's a nice way of thinking about it. And sun. Yeah. Which is a very nice way of, of putting it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. so in that sense, it's an emergency because we need to do a massive U-turn and start investing in renewables in a big way. I'm sat in St Stephen's Hall, which I'm uh, informed both by um, some printed material, but also by one of the staff here, who have been very helpful. Um, that it was the site previously of the medieval royal family's chapel and this in due course became the chamber used for I think 300 years for debating the first House of Commons debating chamber as it puts here from 1547 for 300 years I'm sitting I can see some studs in the ground near the speaker's chair that is the speaker's chair in which the speaker would have sat listening to the arguments of Cromwell and others, for example. So I'm sat in the space um, in which that all would have taken place, including Walpole, who, whose statue is down there to the left, actually to my right as I'm sitting, but on the left-hand side of the hall, as the speaker would have seen it. Um, and one does feel connected to history to the reality. It makes it real. A lot of the, maybe even the majority of the MPs and Lords um, and others are very polite and respectful uh, in their dealings with staff, but not all. And uh, in fact, uh, the House of Commons staff uh, told me that um, a very senior person in the Labour Party told her that um, he shouldn't have to show his past to the likes of her. And she stood at ground and said, um, I don't think Mr. Corbyn would be very impressed at that, do you? I'm afraid you will be showing your past to me, sir. Um, we're in the front line, she said. We stand between the public and the police stand behind us, and then it's you. So I will, I will ask you to show me your past, please. And 
that sense of, um, I said, that sense of a disconnect uh, is there. It's quite tangible coming from the country and then sitting in front of them. Um, talking about work and pensions matters and then talking about transport matters. Um, she said, I said, there has to be a change and I think it's coming. Um, I said, I, I've heard a, a great variety of people, different kinds of people saying I've had enough. The same phrase keeps being used. And uh, she, uh, she agreed and she said, yes, I think she said, uh, a quiet revolution is happening. the London episode of Regional Rides. I'd like to thank Nick and Rachel and Neelam for their contribution. I would also like to thank all those who helped along the way. The complete collection of photographic and recorded material is now accessible online at www.jonathanoates.net. I'm working on a short manuscript for an illustrated ebook and will publish it serially on the website as I complete it. Access to my content is free on a pay-as-you-feel basis. If you've found the project enjoyable or instructive, any help would be much appreciated. Go to the website for details. I can be reached at jonathanoates74 at gmail.com. <laughs>